Welcome to 30 Minutes with Nettie, where we explore life through real stories and empower one another. I am your host, Nettie. I'm super excited about today's guest, Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. She is a Nicaraguense that calls Nashville, Tennessee her home. She got her Master's of Divinity from Vanderbilt University. Her work is making accessible the theories and heavy material that is oftentimes only taught in the racist classist institutions known as academia. To date, she has published over 200 articles online. Many of you may know her from Latina Rebels. She is a founder. She currently has over 200K followers. Um, she's been featured in Telemundo, Univision, Me Too, Guerrilla Feminism, Latina Mag, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post, which if you don't know her from Latina Rebels, you may know her from her uh, piece, Dear Woke Brown Girl. If you haven't read it, go do so. Published by Huffington Post. Currently, Prisca is writing her first book. Now, all of this information I am getting from PriscaDorcas.com. So if you want to read her work, visit her website, PriscaDorcas.com. Um, in my words, to me, she's this badass Nicaragüense who is not just breaking the glass ceilings, she's using the broken glass to cut open our minds through her writings. Prisca, I can't thank you enough for joining me. And everyone listening, I hope you enjoy our conversation. You recently shared on your Instagram that you were a guest on the Therapist Theater podcast. So I went and checked it out and I was glued to your story. I listened to the whole episode and I, as soon as I was done, I, I sent you a message um, sharing my thoughts with you and how I could relate with not having that language to express what we were feeling at that time, you know, growing up. Um, you The main topic was religion and how you evolved despite your church upbringing. Um, you also talked about the movie uh, August Rush, which we'll talk about a little later, but I want to jump right into it. I shared with you how I was 21. So exactly 10 years ago, shoot, almost 11 years ago, my separation of church journey began. And now 10 years later, I could confidently say that I carry no Catholic guilt, but shoot, I'd be lying if I said it was easy, that journey that it takes to get to this place. But let's start out with you sharing a little bit about your experience uh, growing up in a religious. You were hardcore into Christianity, right? Oh, my God. I, I was like swimming in it. I led the dance. I was a dance team like leader <laughs> for like five years or something. Okay. okay. Uh, like I dated the youth, the youth group uh, pastor. I mean, like I was in it and I worked at a mega church that's called Fellowship Church. They had a uh, a satellite campus in Miami. So I worked there for a year and then I applied to divinity school and I thought I was going to continue to do, you know, quote unquote, God's work. And then I discovered everything that divinity school is. And I was like, oh, my God, fuck the church. <laughs> but there were seeds of it. There were moments in my life that I hated things that were happening, but I was so insulated and my parents are pastors that it, it was all I was surrounded with. So I thought it was just what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Like the good people go to church 
And I decided to be a good person at one point in my adulthood. <laughs> and so I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. And then I realized I wasn't making decisions. I thought I was deciding things, but I was like just following what my parents told me was good and bad and everything else. And that happened when I was like getting divorced at 20, 27, 28. Ooh, you were pretty late. So in it the happened game. like way later. <laughs> yeah, you were pretty late in the game. Uh, can you pinpoint uh, a memory or an experience where you questioned something, but you just kind of went with the flow? Yeah, I remember we were we were always in retreats, like white people call them um, church camps. Well, Latino churches don't have that kind of funding. So it's like for the weekend, you go to the Hilton <laughs> and, and we get together. And it was like our church was really big. Um, we had plants all over the U.S., uh, in like Europe and Africa in South America, Central America. And so people would fly from all over the world. They're, they're kids. And so it was a youth group conference or a youth conference. And they separated the boys and the girls a lot. And the girls had to like um, pray about their future husband a lot. And the guys got to like become future pastors and were taught about theology and the Bible. And we were like taught how to be a really good wife. And I was like, well, that feels weird. <laughs> I feel like I can contribute more than that. But that was like one of the first things that I was like, why am I 12 and writing a list of the man I want to marry? So it was stuff like that, that I was like, that doesn't, I don't love it. But you learn to be really good at hiding things. So you learn to be a good Christian by faking it. <laughs> so like, I wasn't supposed to have free premarital sex. And I did. And so I didn't feel bad about it. I was just like, I just can't tell people. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> so things like that, that I learned to like, um, like I figured it out within myself and made excuses within myself. And then it wasn't a sin anymore because me and God were good because I worked at the church. So I compensated for the things that I did poorly. <laughs> it was that kind of stuff. So gotcha, gotcha. You compromised with at least in your mind, you compromise with God. Um, for me, how did I, I was born into a Catholic family. My grandma is still hardcore Catholic. And then my parents joined this um, matrimony retreat thing, group community. And then there was a youth group for the children of those couples. So at the age of 16, from 16 to 21, I would fly to Monterrey, Mexico, and at least four times a year to live this retreat with, um, well, at 16, I w went to it and I was with 100 strangers. So looking back, as far as the human experience of it, it taught me a lot being in a, I could walk in, into any room and not feel intimidated because I walked into this retreat with a hundred people, a hundred strangers, and I made it out alive and made it out okay. And I continued the youth group for the next five years. I was traveling back and forth um, and I really grew a friendship with them. And till this day, I, I keep in touch with some. That's really though when I dove in, like I was, if before I was just uh, someone who would just go to church and kind of just follow the, the rules, during this 16 to 21 I was heavily feeling it like I believed it I 
would go to church on my own. I would get involved with anything that I could. Um, I would walk around with a cross around my neck. But if I want, if I think about religion and when, if I started questioning it, I always think back in middle school, I had two very smart, very kind friends who they were both Jehovah's Witness. And they often would share with me about how I was basically doing everything wrong as a Catholic. And so I I remember going home and questioning my mom and my mom would get annoyed. She just kind of, this is what we believe and this is what we believe. You shouldn't be asking these questions. So that's when the curiosity started for me. Till this day, I'm very fascinated with religion and theology. So I read a lot. And it's just, it's pervasive, really, when I started learning, you know, when I was in school for communications and just learning the importance of language, it's just, it's so engraved in humans, whatever religion you're born into, that it's hard for people to step outside or see outside of what they're born into. And to this day, I mean, sometimes I feel a little awkward having these conversations with some of my friends because I don't want to be the person that plants a seed of doubt. (laughs) I don't want to be that person. I feel like every person has their experience. Every person has their journey. And when it's their time, it's their time to open up their eyes or their mind. Um, And I have friends in Mexico mainly that are priests or hardcore still, you know, in the, in the community that I, that I participated in. Friends who are or so at divinity school, 50, 40, 50 percent of the graduating class becomes ordained. So I have a lot of friends who are ordained pastors, but nobody performs Christianity the way that I was taught to perform it. So like a lot of my friends, so there's like queer ordained reverends or women. Women were ordained in my church growing up and still to this day. So I can negotiate those relationships well because like I didn't grow up seeing that that is already revolutionary for me (laughs) and it is an open and affirming churches and churches that like they can exist like their ordinations have been mind-blowing each time because recently I was on one of my trans friends ordination and everybody who spoke and the person who gave the the preaching or the sermon was trans so I was like yeah, this is church if people can exist as themselves and get to those levels in the church. So I can, I get okay, I'm okay with it. But the people who are still in really conservative churches, I'm just like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Don't talk to me. This is triggering. Oh, yeah, I try to stay away from those people too. Um, The ones that try to tell you how to live your life or that you're doing something wrong. It's just like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. chill. Just live your life. Yeah, mind your business. It's like a simple motto. (laughs) Yeah, and those that use the Bible to spread hate, when they say, I will pray for you. like Pray for "Mm, acceptance. Nah, pray for yourself. Pray for your mind. (laughs) Don't worry about me. I'm good. Yeah. Let's move on to language and the importance of language. You shared how you didn't have the language to to express or to even know what you went through or were going through at that time. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of immigrants or children of immigrants don't have the language for a lot of fucked up things that are happening as we grow up. And it's like, it's damaging. It's really damaging (laughs) for me because if you don't have the language, you just stay. I feel like if I, who would I be if I hadn't gone to school and learned a lot of that? And I don't think everybody needs to go to school. That's not even what I'm saying. But I know that I, how I was insulated and how smothering my parents were staying in Miami, I was never going to have those conversations. So like, I'm like, if I would have stayed, like, I'd be, I'd have like four kids. I'd be married to the person I was married to before who did believe in God and grew up um, Mennonite. (laughs) So like, we might very well still be in that if I hadn't been given any tools to question it. And that's scary. That's like really scary. It's extremely scary. And it's scary that right now in this age, 2020, people are still enslaved in these ideologies um and these very yeah extreme ideas yeah I mean my parents are in a lot of ways my mom is really different and has changed a lot but my dad's still that way my brother still believes all those things his wife and the raising of family two little girls that are still believing all those things that I was taught growing up and I'm the I'm the lost one for sure. Mm. And how hard was it or is it to come to peace with that? I think because I didn't have a voice, you know, like I just, I was like really, really controlled and very made out to be like, uh, like if, if God wasn't around, like I would, I had like a wild spirit that needed to be controlled. And so I like felt a lot of guilt for like everything I was like the things I liked the cut my favorite colors like stupid shit like I was like all that's very bad (laughs) all that is too like I like dancing and it was like if you're not dancing for God then you're you're a sinner like stuff like that so it's like every part of who I was was against how I grew up so for me when I discovered that all that was bullshit and was really just social control I didn't care what I lost and I didn't care that nobody was going to believe me or that people were going to think I was crazy. I just, I did it because it was the first time that I was like meeting myself for the first time. And so I was like, I'll risk it all. I'll risk everything. I'll risk like the first marriage I had. I'll risk all the friends that were only my friends because I was like a quote unquote, a good Christian woman. <laughs> so I was like, fuck everything, risk it all, do it all and start over and it didn't matter. And I even my parents, like I stopped talking to them for a few months because I was getting divorced and I was also rejecting the religion. And I got an abortion around all the same time. And my mom was like, Satanas, <laughs> you know, and so but I was like, fuck you. Like, th- this is what I'm going to do. And this is the person I'm going to become with or without you. And my mom came on board and was like, OK, I love you and I'm going to be here no matter what. First of all, you inspire me to not give a fuck. Two, listening you talk about your older version and who you are now, it sounds liberating. And that's what inspires me and inspires other people to know, hey, you can live your true self. You are not a bad person for choosing you. Is this what motivated you to start Latina Rebels? Was all this growth happening pre or post Latina Rebels? Uh, During. Latina Rebels was like at the heat of it all. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, 
this shit's amazing. Look at all these things I'm learning. So I was like, I got to spread it to as many people as I can. So I just made a page. It was like a 30 second decision because I saw Latino Rebels was celebrating their anniversary on Cinco de Mayo. And I was like, fuck it. This is my time. (laughs) (laughs) Dope. And I know that now there's a couple of you, right? Running that page. Well, there was always um, four of us when we started um, and they were friends. So I was like, I'm going to make this page. I contacted my sister who was starting to like rebel a lot about what was happening, how we grew up, but also was still like, you know, like it was still lingering in the church and still like some things. And she still does that. But I was like, I'm going to provide a context that's going to be very polarizing. So I want people to know that there's still other people who you could be Latina and still like be a little bit playing both sides if that's what you need to do. Or I contacted another friend who's raised by a single mom, also a pastor's kid, um, Guatemalteca in Chicago. And I was like, Hey, you want to be a part of this? You post feminist shit. We've been friends for a while. I trust you. And she was like, sure. And another friend who was a full blown atheist, like in Google's um, tech school, Cuban. And we went to the same high school together. And I was like, Hey, want to do this thing (laughs) and we that was with the initial four of us and as time has progressed now there's five and I've met all of the four um through talks that I've given or I've all I've met all of them in person and I know all of them personally now but it was through yeah through talks and them coming to events or inviting me to events and that is so cool I love that how you didn't stick to one certain mold or you didn't stick to, let me get a group of people who all think the same, who all feel the same about a certain topic. Um, you got a diverse group, which can sound unfamiliar to non-Latinos who try to box us into a certain way. And I have to admit that I hate labels because of that. And that is something that I struggle with today. Soy mujer, LGBTQ, Latina. Well, Latina because I'm Mexican-American or I come from a Mexican family. Um, Hispanic, even though I cringe when I hear Hispanic, but shoot, when it's Hispanic month and someone wants to pay me to talk. (laughs) I'm Hispanic, Hispanic. bitch. Yeah, (laughs) I hear you. But you mentioned how people want to put us in this box. And I don't know if I'm afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing. Like that's not Latina of you or LGBTQ of you. Yeah. I guess I love labels (laughs) only because, but I think it's context. Cause honestly I have, I have, I think it's how you respond to um, trauma. So my, I was like in a very abusive controlling household where I didn't get to define myself ever. Everybody got to tell me who I was. And so when I, the minute I got to define myself, I was like, I'm Latina. I'm, you know, I'm a bruja. I'm a puta. I'm loca. Like, I was like, I'll cling on to these labels. Give me the labels, especially the bad ones that you have thrown at me to make me behave better. So I completely get it. But it's just like, I think mine is a response to trauma. And it's like how I heal from it. And as I've been healing I'm like oh I don't need labels like I don't need you know (laughs) I moved to that space of like there's too much rigidity in the labels and not enough I feel like I have to always be defining the labels so then it ends up being too much I'm just like I'm just brisca so I get that completely because I think we do get put in boxes we do there's they are negative and positive stereotypes that's like a real thing Everybody thinks stereotypes are like terrible, but 
I fit into a lot of the Latina stereotypes without wanting to. <laughs> and I love those things about myself and the places that I don't fit into it. I love those aspects of me also, but that can, that doesn't mean I'm any less Latina. It just means that's the Latina that I am. <laughs> so yeah, I, I understand the labels thing. And I, I think it's a, it's a journey that I think we all have to go through and figuring out where we stand and how comfortable we are with being told and then telling ourselves what's <laughs> what we are. But that's what, um, in, if you go like to Facebook or our Tumblr, oh God, I can't believe we're still on Tumblr, but <laughs> it's like always the mission is just to unveil the complexities of Latinidad and what it means to be Latina, because it isn't just like a series of spicy and sexy and all these other stupid things that we're told we are if you google latina but we're not yeah you just brought up the whole changing too and being open to change like right now i feel this way but i don't know maybe in a month i feel different you know what after this conversation i'm gonna change my bio <laughs> to, to what <laughs> mujer mexicana gay latina hispanic only during september that's perfect (laughs) (laughs) all right but going back to change change is something that i do want to explore or be open with more uh, letting people know it's okay to change ideas and really i think that i just i'm telling myself this uh with the whole podcast and the ideas that i have for it somehow the podcast kind of molded into this whole interview sort of deal and i would just want to try new things but um sometimes i struggle with that and I'm like, why? If I just want to record 30 minutes of myself talking to myself, do it if that's what I want. Do you still have the podcast, by the way? I, I remember you had one. No, because I got a book deal. <laughs> um, it's a book deal. And I'm also working on um, writing a show. It's just it was attention that could be distracting. Especially, I mean it's not gonna, it's not like I'm gonna change any content I put out there, (laughs) like on my personal social media page, but it's a different story when people tune into a podcast and they're like, yeah, I love being peed on, you know, (laughs) I just feel like that could be really distracting. (laughs) So it's just like an executive decision. And uh, the other girls are going through their own stuff too. So it was just like, yeah, let's just pump the brakes for a little bit and see where life is taking us. It was really sad. I'm going to make another one, but it'll be by myself and it'll be very not about me, which is great. (laughs) Dude, a book deal. That is so awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. It's weird. (laughs) It's exciting. Is this a whole new journey for you? A new career? Yeah, a whole other world. Do you have a projected release date? Um, they want to do spring 2021. Dope. Well, I'm excited. I can't wait to read it. Um, I can't congratulate you enough this is exciting and dude you're already winning so enjoy all the books that you're reading and enjoy the process enjoy the journey and I can't wait lastly you talked about a movie August Rush now I have to admit I have not seen this movie (laughs) but you share how it's about this woman who discovers herself later in life yeah And for some reason, it reminded me of a book that I read about 10 years ago, Eat, Pray, Love. Uh Uh-huh. And... I've never never read it. Was there a movie about it? Yeah, there was a movie. 
I think I watched it, but I don't remember it. <laughs> well, to make the story short, it's this woman who had it all. She was married. She, outside looking in, she had the perfect life. And one day she found herself in her bathroom in fetal position crying because she just didn't want to be in that relationship. She didn't want to be in that marriage anymore. And I vividly remember me reading that part of the book because when a relationship fails or you want change, you think that it's because of something bad. But with her... She just woke up one day and realized this is not the life I want. So after crying, you know, in fetal position in the bathroom, she comes out and she made up her mind. She chose herself. She came out and told her husband, you know, I don't want to be married. And she ended up traveling to three different countries and a solo trip to try to find herself. Um, but overall, I just felt very liberating when she was able to make that decision and follow through with it. And for some reason, when you were talking about the woman in August Rush, it reminded me of the woman in this story. It's it's funny because when he asked me to do a film as a Latina, and he's white, so I was like, I have to think of like a Latino film. Because <laughs> like, you know, got to represent. And I was just like, there just hasn't been a lot out there for <laughs> And maybe I haven't been exposed to it, but what I've been exposed to, they're all white, so I might as well you know, the Latino actors are white. So I'm just like, I might as well pick a white film since they're trying to be white anyways. So picking it was like everything because it's the kind of movie that hits you in the gut if you have ever, I think if you've experienced control by the one person that you love the most or the people that you love the most from your parents, it's like that. Because she wouldn't be in those situations if her dad had it decided to take control of her life and lie to her <laughs> and keep her from her son like he told she was pregnant and she was hit by a car and he didn't want her to be pregnant and so when she woke up he was like the baby's dead but the baby wasn't dead she just he had signed over custody to the state and she, he had been given to the state and she didn't find that out till he was in his deathbed 10 years no 12 years later and he's like yeah he never he didn't die. He's like in the system somewhere, probably for 12 years. And I'm just like, yeah, no, that can't happen to me. Like, cause I was like, yeah, like I loved my dad so much. I was like a daddy's girl. I have, I look like him. My nickname was Cara de Papa because I look just like my papi. <laughs> like, and he would take me to places just to show me off because we looked alike a lot. <laughs> and, I really, really was like, he's like, I only saw stars in my eyes for him. And when I started to understand feminism and I started to understand my parents' fights, like I started listening more. I was like, oh my God, he's an asshole. He's so controlling. Like, and I would tell my mom, I was like, how come you let him talk to you like that? But there were different things that I started to realize they were different. My lens was different and it didn't make him the love that I felt for him growing up any different for me, but it definitely, our relationship isn't the same. We don't talk. He calls me and I, I screen his calls and I'm like, mm -mm, I'm not, my, my heart is not in the right place to talk to you right now. <laughs> and I keep a lot of distance because as much as I loved him growing up and he had like good intentions, 
he did a lot of terrible things in the name of God in our household. Cause like God put him as the head of the household. So everything he did was God ordained. And that fucked me up into adulthood because like I cried when I saw my first penis, like sobbed. Cause I was so ashamed. I shouldn't, I was like, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be looking at this. I was like, it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I was not okay when I got divorced because I was like, now who's going to take care of me? I didn't know that I even had the ability to take care of myself. They were like, and these were, these were things that were said to me growing up. I was socialized to think I was not able to do anything without a man. And that's that whole movie. It's like, she, she, she says it in one point. She's like, I feel like I finally come back to life. And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> and all this, cause your dad loved you so much. Wow. What would happen if he hated you? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. After this conversation, I'm going to go downstairs and watch August Rush. Ah. And I'm going to send you a selfie of myself <laughs> with, I'm going to look like that girl from uh, The Ring <laughs> with um, the mascara with running down my too. cheeks. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> Going back to Eat, Pray, Love. Um, that scene that I described, that's the one that stuck to me the most. And that's really the only scene that I remember from the book. And it connects to trauma. And I'll share a little bit why. Um, my parents divorced when after 27 years of being married. So I was 25. I was an adult when they divorced. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't it was a ugly situation. Um, that's actually when my anxiety kicked in. And sometimes I think it's like PTSD. Um, I can, something triggers for me to remember something. And then it, I, it takes me back to feel exactly how I felt at that moment that I was living through that situation. And granted, that was when I was 25. I'm 31 now, so it's been six years. Um, but for some reason, at that moment that I was going through that, with my family, I thought back to this book, to this scene, because it's crazy how the mind works, but here it goes. In Eat, Pray, Love, this white woman just wakes up out of nowhere, decides that she doesn't want to get be married, and she has this revelation and is able to tell her husband, I want a divorce, and it wasn't dramatic and she was able to go and do whatever she wanted, right? And here I have my mother, a Mexican woman, um, who, my mom, who probably should have left my dad a long time ago, but because of the norm, because esta es la cruz mm -hmm. que Dios te dio. Do you, know, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, no, I've heard this. <laughs> yeah, so because of fear, um, my mom really wanted it to work out or really elongated this relationship right um and i would think back to this this situation in the book and i would tell my mom like listen even if my dad was the best human in the world and treated you the best you have the choice of not wanting to be in a relationship anymore or not wanting to be in a marriage anymore just because you have the freedom of that and it does not make you a bad person. All the pressures and yeah, and fear. I think at least with my parents, I think my mom 
functioned off of fear. And so all of her decisions came from that. And I don't think she's in that place anymore, but I think it really, because she, she'll talk about, she left her, her parents home because her brother was so abusive. She just wanted to get out of there. And so she was, she just, she married my dad because that was her exit. That was her ticket out. But then she married a really abusive, controlling person. It wasn't a physical, but it doesn't mean it didn't fuck with all of us psychologically, emotionally, mentally. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's the children that are reaping the effects. We're dealing with the trauma. We're dealing with how do we break this cycle? While juggling, like being like, I want to be respectful of your choices as a person and like what you thought was the right decision at the time. But also, fuck you. Like, that was terrible what you did. And I'm suffering and healing from it. But also, I don't want you to, you know, like, it's like a juggle. You're like juggling, like, how do I hold you accountable and not make you feel about bad about surviving? Yeah, dude, that's the freaking struggle. Um, Wow, right now that you're sharing a little bit about your mom, it made me think about my grandma. Well, when I started seeing a counselor and I started trying to pinpoint where is all this coming from or what's the root you know I if I think just an example of my grandma like my grandma grew up extremely poor and in a in a family where she would get beat you know for not I don't know cooking or something or not taking care of her children or her siblings the right way or for any little thing she she shares with us that she would get beat um, from her parents so then she married my grandpa at a very young age and she found herself in a domestic abuse relationship where she would also get beat and um and then you know it wasn't until my grandpa passed that honestly she started living and that's freaking sad it is and i think of those women i it's just yeah you look at that but like it is sad but i'm always like Yay, yay you! Because <laughs> they look like they come alive. They look like like years shut off them. Because <laughs> they're like their burden is gone, and I'm like, oh, te ves tan linda. But it's true. It is really sad. But but they can say they stuck it out, and that's sad too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, they carried their cross. Yeah, they're still like. Oh man, I I feel like we go back and forth with stories of our families and all the trauma. (laughs) But we do have to close this episode. So how should we close? How should we wrap it up, Briska? What are your tips to getting there? Because you're like in a place of, you know, you've, you've crossed that threshold. You've worked on yourself. Well, I think everyone's journey, there comes a point where you're extremely unhappy or you don't see a way out. Um, and I feel like in those moments, you have to pay attention. You have to listen to your true self, be honest with yourself and have the courage to do something about it. Um, so really discovering yourself and loving yourself, but to bring this full circle to something that we talked about in the beginning is the whole idea of, um, thinking outside the box, thinking, bringing up another idea, like, wait, I can live like this. Right now, I'm living this life that I'm living because 10 years ago, I made that choice. So people might see me as confident or see me as this person who's doing all these projects. But I started this 10 years ago and I'm still learning. I'm still trying new things. But when it comes to the love I have for myself, 
I'm also in my 30s. So I do think that makes a difference. You know, the more we discover ourselves, the more we got to learn to love everything that makes us because this is all we are. This is what we got. And this is what we have to live with ourselves. So for anyone listening who is feeling like they need a change, do it. One of my fears with sharing this self-love side of me is that people may think I have no problems or that that I have it all figured out. And it's far from that. I have my low days when I don't feel like doing shit. uh, Days where I want to disconnect from everyone. But I've learned to feel it. And I allow myself to to not do anything. If I don't want to do anything, I don't have to do anything. Um, But the next day, I get up, I shower, and it's a new day. Yeah. (laughs) For me, I don't have everything figured out. And I don't try to... I try to stray away from portraying that on social media, even though I feel like people see what they want to see of people they admire (laughs) or think they, that you've like hit success or something. But I do think that whenever, whenever you start judging someone too harshly, I go through my lens of like, okay, is this like the church, some church shit, and you're judging somebody for living the life outside of what you've been told is like what a good person is. And then I'm like, usually the the answer to that when I'm judging someone is like, yes. (laughs) Or is this like capitalism telling you you should be at a certain place in your life or people should be at a certain place in their life, figured out shit more. And usually the answer to that, if I'm going to that place is probably yes. (laughs) So like there are wait like yeah you and I might don't have it figured out and I think that's normal to we don't we shouldn't have to feel or portray that we have figured it out to give people advice on how to feel better or be better or get better I don't know so there's layers to it too because I definitely have the worst anxiety that will keep me inside for weeks but that has everything to do with trauma that has everything to do with how I think capitalism tells me I should exist and how I should be and how I should present myself. And it has everything to do with like notions of proper that white people carry into spaces. So at my age, people are like, you should act differently or you should dress differently or you should, you should have like figured out that now you're in this stage in your life. And I'm, that keeps me anxious as fuck and I don't want to see people so there are layers to maybe not being stellar all the time (laughs) yeah thank you for tuning in today let me know what you think of today's episode if you would like to join me email me at nettiespodcast at gmail.com you can also find me on instagram at nettiespodcast don't forget to subscribe and review and please continue to help me spread the word by sharing this episode with your friends and family I hope everyone has a good week and I will talk to you soon. Peace.